This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we wrap up our Pursuit series with a message entitled, Yield. We can all discover freedom in yielding. Faith comes through yielding to what the Bible says. When we yield in prayer, the Lord will reveal how we must bend. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now. Today, the title of my message is this, Yield. Anybody seen a yield sign on a street? Yield means you better wait before you go. It doesn't mean a full stop. It means that you, you think about things, you look both ways. Yield also can mean that you yield to another power or another authority that's around you. and You, you could do what you want to do, but instead you pause and you listen to what other, to others think. Well, today I want you to consider that when it comes to prayer, there's an aspect of prayer that is unbelievably important for you to unlock all that God has for you in your daily prayers. See, it's not just about what happens in church. It's also about what does it feel like when you pray on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, your prayers matter to God, and he hears your prayers just as much as he hears your pastor's prayer. Your prayers can make a difference in the people that are important to you, your family, the people you work with, go to school with, the people that are around you. We're looking at the story of a guy named Evan Roberts. In 1903, in Wales, in the United Kingdom, over in Europe, there was a young 25-year-old coal miner who had a hunger for Jesus, and he wanted more of the Spirit. He wanted to be filled with the Spirit. And so he would go to meetings where there was what they called evangelistic meetings. And at one of those meetings that he went to, the preacher got up and was talking, and he said, bend, bend me, Lord. And something about bend me, Lord, was a phrase that resonated with his heart. And it was as if the Spirit was saying to him, you need this. This is you. And so as he wrote about it back in 1903 in his journals, he talked about his hands went over the pew in front of him. And he started crying out to God and perspiration was coming down. It was so real. And he found himself burdened, not only for himself, but burdened for the church and burdened for people who would stand at the judgment seat someday. They would stand before God and give an account for who they were. And he was burdened for them. And so God began to burden him. And then he started praying. After that, he started calling prayer meetings. And then other young adults and friends, by the way, people have get, may give up on the next generation, but I'm telling you, the next generation right now could start a revival. Young adults, listen to me. Those of you that are teenagers, listen to me. Your prayers matter. If you start calling upon God, something great could happen. For Evan Roberts, he began to pray. And over the next nine months, 100,000 people came to Jesus through a movement, a revival in Wales, simply because they all began to pray. And their prayer was, bend me, Lord. Then it was, bend us, Lord, as in the church. And there was something about this kind of circles of influence. It started with a person, but it moved to the people around them, and then it moved to the nation around them. And people became kinder, and there was a wave of forgiveness, and the cry went out, bend me, bend the church, and save the world. Evan Roberts uncovered a world-changing secret in prayer that works. You see, we all desire for the world around us to change. We may want our spouse to change, our kids to change. We may want the, the people around us, the government to change. We may want the people in our culture to change their opinions. 
and we're burdened for them to bend. Friends, there are things that we are, are seriously, we need a bending. We need God to change hearts. I was sickened because I looked at the news and saw that New York had changed, the state of New York had changed its laws to expand abortion all the way up to the day before the due date. I'm burdened because we have generations that are being raised now that uh, there's, a, there's a difference of perception about issues like abortion. And, and I just will tell you right now that the heartbeat of God is not that any child should be killed in the womb. I know that there are some under the sound of my voice that perhaps you have had an abortion in previous parts of your story. And I don't want you to hear this as guilt being driven from me towards you. The grace of God can heal all of those things. In fact, we've got partners at the church that we work with, like Rich in Mercy, that, that help those post-abortive, not just the birth mother, but also the father, and the people that are involved with that story. But let me say this. It is not okay for us to just not care when we see that people are being murdered. The very first person to welcome Jesus into the world was a fetus. It was his cousin, John the Baptist. Things happen in the womb that are God things. And so we care about it from very conception on, okay? And that doesn't mean we don't care about the people. And friends, we need to be all in on foster care and adoption and do everything we can to take care of kids once they're born, to take care of the women and the men and the people that are hurting, okay? But when a governor and a group of people sit down to sign a document and they smile about what's about to happen, something is wrong in our country. We need God to bend our nation. We need God to change our nation. We're bothered by things, but doing whatever you want, owning whatever you want, living however you want, won't change anything. A person who bends goes through a perspective change. They are willing to adjust to another idea or a different strategy. And I would suggest to you today that the bending doesn't start with the governor of New York. The bending starts with you and with me. And Jesus gives us an example how in the context of prayer, we need to learn to bend daily. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew 26, Jesus has lived his life up to this moment knowing that he would go to the cross. He's done his miracles. He's preached his sermon on the mount. He's helped the old and the young. He's healed the sick. But now it is prior to the moment that he would be betrayed and then murdered, crucified on a cross. So what does Jesus do just as he's always done throughout his life? He goes and he prays about it. You know what I think? I think there needs to be more praying about it. Less posting about it, more praying about it. Less having anxiety about it, more praying about it. Jesus did this as a regular part of his life. And so I want you to see what he does. This is, of course, at the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Did you know Jesus became anguished and distressed? He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
And he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Once you notice this moment, Jesus has two different things going on in his head and his heart. One is, I want to get out of this. Can you get me out? And the other is, but I will still yield to the Father, okay? I will do what your will is, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. How many say amen to that sometime? Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of of sinners. This is an amazing moment for you see Jesus have an internal struggle. And what did he do with his internal struggle? He prayed about it. Not once, not twice, but three times. Some of you will come to church, you will pray about something, but you didn't get resolved. It's not, not time to stop. It's time to pray again. It's time to keep praying. That internal struggle that he had, he took to the Lord, to his Father. And in that prayer, while he was praying, he yielded to the Father. This is a very important internal thing that I want you to consider in your own prayer life. That while you pray, listen, you can pray what you want. You can pray your desires. You can pray those things out to God, and he's not offended by that. But in your prayer, there also needs to be a pivot point where the door opens and closes upon that hinge where you say, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Every person that gets access to the Father, that gets answers to their prayer, has to have a moment where they yield to God. If they want God to be with them, if they want God in his blessings, if they want God to help them out, there has to be a yielding. But the reality is that in our own human nature, we want our will to be done. Tim Keller says this, if we're honest, we prefer Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. Hmm. I think sometimes we just want him to bless what we want to do, affirm us. Tell me that you love me. But while we pray, God will bend us. He will turn our heart. He will direct us towards his plans. Beforehand, what, it's what I see, what I think, what I want. If we're honest, the self-talk of our generation is you are your own boss. Your life belongs to you. You're entitled to choose your own destiny. Your body belongs to you, and you can do with it whatever you want. But when you go into prayer, it's yet... I want your will to be done, even if I don't see why yet. Yielding to God requires trust. Everybody say trust. I want Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of the most commonly quoted but really good texts 
In fact, if you want to go there, you can go there in your, in your Bibles. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord. How many people, let's be honest, don't raise your hand, but how many people have trust issues today? I mean, if we're to be honest, we got trust issues. But listen, the pathway to yielding is through trust. You can't yield if you don't trust. You won't give up, yield to God, if you don't trust him. So Proverbs says that we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's a shift from trusting in me or leaning on someone or something else to leaning on God with all your heart. Now, the biblical heart is the center of how we make decisions. It's your, your uh, central processing unit. It's the chip inside of you, okay? But a heart isn't feelings. In fact, I would argue that there are two things that happen that build into the contents of where your heart is. The first is what you think about. Whatever you think about becomes a part of your heart. You're like, are you sure, Pastor Nate? I'm, I'm really sure about this. How many of you have somebody that you really dislike? They bug you. They ticked you off. They might have done something to you. And if you think about them, what happens then to your emotions? Your emotions begin to shift, okay? So whatever we think about leads our emotions. Those are the first two things that eventually lead to the consistency of where our heart really is. People don't fall out of love. They think themselves out of love. There's a process to it. Whatever we're thinking about, whatever we're uh, observing, whatever we're meditating on, whatever is going around in our minds, and many people have conversations with themselves and they reinforce that thing, then the emotions build up and then we wonder why either anger explodes or we withdraw from people around us. It's not that, uh, that that's just who we are. No, we've been thinking about something for so long and we have no other pathway out and then our feelings our emotions come into play and how many know your emotions will lie to you and then our heart follows after that this is why the bible says the only place that's secure the only place you should trust your heart with is with the lord to learn to trust in the lord with your own heart and god's not afraid when we verbalize anything that's weakness underneath. I think there's a misnomer, kind of a commonly held belief in culture that people in church need to be perfect or we expect people to be perfect. But at Emmanuel, perfect people aren't allowed because nobody's perfect. But let me, let me, let me dive a little bit deeper when it comes to our thoughts about ourselves and our heart. In reality, in reality, if we think that we can trust in the Lord with all the things we feel good about ourselves with, then we're not trusting him with all of our heart. Because our thoughts are somewhere else and our thoughts lead to the contents of where our heart is. So when it comes to our own weaknesses, we need to discover that God's not afraid of that inner you that you don't like. 
He's wanting you to trust him with that part too. Even those things that may not trust in the Lord. I love what happened when a man came to a father who needed his child healed, came to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. He said, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my what? See, there's an acknowledgement. There's other things going on in the inside. And then it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and now verse 6, do not lean on your own understanding. So however it is that you've built up, propped up, thought about, this is why the world works the way it works in your own head. Don't lean on that. In the middle of whatever it is that you're walking through, lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge God. It's all in how you lean. And trusting requires yielding your thoughts to God. Taking those thoughts, not being afraid of bringing them to the Lord. Leaning is also a direction. What is it that you've shifted your weight into recently? What have you been thinking about, observing? Who or what is influencing your thinking? Because I guarantee your heart is following after it. I've said this for generations. It could be music that you listen to and the thoughts that you get from your music that you get your emotions from. What's it driving you toward? Because I guarantee your heart is coming behind that. Maybe it's people. Maybe you've been hanging around a certain group of people, listening to a certain group of people, talking on the phone to even relatives that think a certain way. And you're beginning to lean on their understanding. Or maybe it's thinking about politics and, you know, the thing you're not supposed to talk about in the pulpit anymore, the church. But boy, is it out there everywhere on social media. You begin to read and watch and listen to the voices of people, some of them that call themselves Christians. And if you're not careful, you're beginning to lean on their understanding and not trusting the Lord with your heart. Now you're following talk radio or you're following somebody's acidic opinion on social media. Instead, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Instead of leaning on your own understanding, the process of taking your thoughts to God is really like submitting things to God. Because we kind of categorize things that we tell God about. God, I'll tell, I need help getting the job I want. I want a spouse. I want you to figure my spouse out. Straighten him out or her out. I want you to fix my kids. I'm out of money this month. I need some money. And we're used to request-oriented submission. But I'd like you to think of it even broader than that. What about submitting your plans, your decisions about things that you will and will not do? What about submitting them to God? I'm a, I, I am done with school. <laughs> I finished my educational journey. It's called a terminal degree, a doctorate is. I am done, right? Now here's the thing, when I, all the years of education I went through, I regularly had to write my thoughts out, read stuff, synthesize it, and then write it and submit it to a teacher. And when I would submit that, it meant I had done my work, had done my research. Now I had submitted it to a teacher. 
Now, the teacher can grade it, but it's not just about grading. It was also about helping me form my thinking about what I could have adjusted or my formatting or some of my grammar might not have been correct or whatever it may have been. And so I would get the results back. So I still had the paper when it came back to me, but it was read over because I had submitted it to the teacher. I think the rhythm of life with God is much like that. Not that he's grading us. Not that he's up there trying to, you know, and some of us, like, we got bad memories about school, right? We're like, no, I can never get good enough grades. I'm not saying God's like that. It's it's not a good enough situation. As much as it is, I want to grow and I want to learn and I want to have, have a pathway in my story. So regularly, I submit my plans to God. Regularly, I might plan my, have my thoughts, I might have my own understanding, but even after I get done thinking it through, talking it through, making a decision about what I'm going to do, I submit it to God. I allow him to give his feedback. When, when uh, Jody and I were first married, and I remember we drove back to my hometown in Grand Rapids, Michigan, to go to, went to church on Sunday morning, and I went up to the front of the altar area, sat down and put my knees on the steps and just said, thank you, Jesus. And I remember praying and just talking to God and going, Lord, life is so good. I'm a youth pastor now. I'm married. and Life is good. And, and, uh, and the Lord said, have you consulted me on your decisions? One of those decisions that I had made with Jody, I thought, was that we would wait five years to have kids. There are rational, good reasons for that. Well, finances, we need to make sure that we're prepared. We have enough finances for a kid. And so while I'm at the altar and I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, speak to me. Thank you for all that you've done. And I, I love my life. God's asked me a question. I think God needs to ask us questions. Maybe you need to hear a question from the Lord today. Have you consulted him on your decisions? For me, I'm like, Lord, I actually start telling him my good, faithful reasons. I'm a steward. I'm doing what I think you want me to do. And, and then the Lord said, you haven't even asked me about that. So I, I said, all right, Lord. He said, leave it in my hands. So on the way, drive back from Michigan to Minnesota, Jody says to me, so what was God saying to you at the altar? And I said, leave it, leave it in his hands. We got back. It was the last week of November. Somewhere in January, we discovered David was coming. Not our timing. The Lord knew what was best for us. You can't trust in the Lord if you think you know what's best. You have to yield to what he thinks is best. And then you trust that he'll give you the hope and the necessities that are required to fulfill what he gives you. 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. This is a when-then proposition today. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, then something else will happen. When you trust in him, then he'll make your path straight. Let me give you four things when we yield to God in prayer. What will happen then? The first is this. Holy Spirit will reveal how we must bend. 
Holy Spirit will reveal how we must bend. You don't need anybody else to tell you it. When you're in prayer and you're going one direction and the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you, you might need to uh, uh, confess your sin. You might need to acknowledge something. You might need to change what you've been doing. You might need to cut something out, but the Holy Spirit will lead you into that. Secondly, when we yield in prayer, Holy Spirit will reveal wisdom. He'll reveal wisdom. You're like, I don't know what to do. Wisdom is both knowledge and an understanding of what to do with the knowledge. And God-inspired wisdom is the result of your prayer life and your Bible reading. The third thing is this. Holy Spirit helps us overcome temptation. Because in the middle of this, just like Jesus, we've got different desires. We want to do this. We want to do this. But I'll yield to you. And sometimes there are other desires on the periphery that are temptations to do the opposite of what God wants. Or even worse, a halfway step to what God wants. Galatians 5, 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Really what the Holy Spirit does is he helps us say no to ourselves. How many know that's the hardest person to say no to? Number four, Holy Spirit will lead you on his path. Because the result will be leadership, not just in the prayer time, but leadership throughout a day, guiding you. And you may not understand the why in the moment. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm stuck where I'm at. I'm embracing the more that God has given me, expecting the more that God has ahead for me. But I don't understand it. I love what Pastor Dwight used to say, life is best lived forward and understood looking backward. You don't understand until you look back someday. We can all discover freedom in yielding and trusting in the Lord. Now I'm going to give you some what ifs, thoughts, if you will, for you, for me, for our family, for our church. What if we all chose to take our stubbornness to the Lord? Any stubborn people in here today? What if parents went before the Lord and said, I yield to you? What if you went into your career and said, Lord, I yield, I submit and yield to you? What if students went before the Lord and said, I yield to what you want, not just what everyone else is doing? What is the biggest battle in your life right now? If I were to ask you, what is the thing that you found that is your biggest obstacle to the things that you want? What if you took that thing to the Lord today and said, I want this fixed. I want this to be more comfortable for me, but I yield to you, Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org.